Hey, hey, welcome back to The Curvy Critic. We got Quentin Tarantino. We got Angelique Jackson. We got Mike Wallace, Comic-Con, and more. Stay right there. You're tuned into Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Tune in right now. Hello, everybody. It's your girl, Carla Renata. This is the Curvy Critic at Black Hollywood Live. If this is your first time joining us, please, please, please give me a fierce thumbs up at YouTube. Go over to Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and give me some five-star love there as well. Comment. I will comment back. And, you know, we'll just keep the party going. If you've never been here before, let me just tell you how this is going to go down. Every once in a while, I have a guest co-host, which today is Angelique Jackson. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and, and for those of you who have um, joined me for the first time with Angelique, Angelique is an entertainment reporter aficionado over at Variety Magazine or Variety.com, whichever one you want to talk. <laughs> Call it, yes, whatever. both. Please, both. please, bu- you know, buy the magazine, watch, <laughs> look at us online, mm-hmm. Twitter, Insta, all the things. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen is... She and I are going to talk about all things Quentin Tarantino because we have that film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming up. And um, neither one of us were able to catch that joint before we came in today. (laughs) We will come back and talk about it next week and review it. But today we're just going to do a retro. We re I can't even talk. I sound like I sound like Bugs Bunny. What's going on? Well, what we were talking about before we started was the (laughs) fact that Quentin already has like very complicated, complex dialogue. (laughs) So when we're trying to say things like. Quentin Tarantino retro rewind. It's, thank you, it girl. It sounds like it's a Tarantino line. It does. It, thank it, you, it, sir. It, it, and thank you for picking up the slack and saying it for me because I was like, my mouth is betraying me today. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Mike Wallace is here, which is a documentary. We're going to talk a little bit about Comic Con, and I'm going to su- suggest some things that I think you might want to check out during the week that are coming up and give you a preview of what we're going to talk about next week. So let's get. Hey, Marlon Wallace. I just want to acknowledge you in the chat room. You are always there supporting me. He says, hello, Carla and Angelique. Uh, Hi. So nice (laughs) to see you again, Marlon. Yes, honey. So let's get right into the conversation about Mike Wallace is here. Now, for those of you who don't know, Mike Wallace was a vintage newsman who was at CBS for years and years and years and years and years. He was one of the main reporters, anchors for 60 Minutes, which has made a staple out of Sunday nights at the CBS network. (laughs) But there's some things that we didn't know about him, right, Girl, Angelique? like everything. Um, I had always watched, of course, Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes. And you, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe back then I didn't think about, like, the story behind the journalist. I just kind of assumed. Actually, to be honest, at that time, I didn't know how you became a TV journalist. And the way he became one was incredibly surprising. Being an actor before he started in the journalism world, not like the rest of us that are, like, going local news. He blazed his own trail, as only Mike Wallace could do. Yeah, he was doing, he was, he was literally... A, what they called back in the day a pitch salesman. So he would do commercials where he was pitching soap or cars or whatever the situation or washing machines or whatever. And he started out doing that. And, you know, stuff started to dry up as it does in show business. And he was like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of over this and I'm, I'm going to go someplace where I don't have to read somebody else's words. That made me laugh out loud. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. What also made me laugh out loud, there was an interview, there's an interview in the documentary that he does with Barbara Streisand. Yes. Well, Barbara Streisand clocks him, and it is pure comedy, but that That's was hilarious. not, that was not, 
outside of the norm for him. He would clock people and they would clock him right back or they would just get up and walk out out of the interview. He was um, the precursor to a lot of people that do that type of sensationalism news, like precursor to TMZ, precursor to, um, there was a guy named Tom Schneider that was on NBC. He was the precursor to all of that. And the, the film actually starts out with him with Bill O'Reilly, where yes, Bill O'Reilly basically say. explains <laughs> that if it wasn't for you, there would be no me, which is really interesting, kind of leading into where we are in terms of journalism and what exactly it means to be a pundit versus a journalist um, and this kind of conversation that we're having about media right now. So it's a really interesting time for this documentary to come it's out. It's a really interesting time. So unfortunately, Mike Wallace is no longer with us. He died in 2012 at the ripe age of 93 years old. So he had a nice, full, well-rounded life. But you do want to check out Mike Wallace is Here. It's probably in art house theaters across the country. Um, I seriously doubt it's in a major theater, but if it is, please check it out. Mike Wallace is Here. All right. Um, you know what? I think we're going to... I'll, I'll go into the Comic-Con news because I'm afraid sure. that once we get into... Yeah, exactly. we got to get to the news. Once we get into Quentin Tarantino, we may not get back. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> There's too much to talk about. Honestly, we both have been doing research for like weeks. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. So... In the Comic-Con news. So Comic-Con started, like, Thursday? Uh, yes. What? Uh, thir- Thursday this past was, Thursday? Yeah, Thursday was, like, the first big day. Yeah. And today's the last day, right? Sunday, yes. So They're it was, like, a up. weekend joint. And it usually happens. It usually kicks off in San Diego. It's a big deal because all of the studios go down there with all of their TV and their film content. And they talk about what they have coming up, what they want people to, you know, get the buzz out about. And a couple of things happen. So I'm not quite sure about this one. And maybe you can help okay. me. Okay. So... I saw on the news that Tom Cruise came down there to introduce a trailer for the Top Gun sequel, but it wasn't really Tom Cruise. It was a lookalike. Okay, so what happened was, actually, (laughs) Entertainment Tonight um, had a Tom Cruise lookalike um, as part of their whole... as part of their whole Comic Con shtick, mm-hmm. um, but we did still get a trailer for um, for Top Gun Two, mm-hmm. uh, Top Gun Maverick, which was incredible. I, there was a lot of trailer drops during Comic Con. There Comic-Con. were a lot of trailer we got, drops. We got it. We got um, and we got all kinds of stuff. But there was nothing like that Top Gun Maverick trailer. And Top Gun, not for nothing, but the original Top Gun did shoot down in San Diego, so it was appropriate that you know if they're going to announce a, a sequel coming up, Top Gun Maverick, of course they're going to announce at the San Diego Comic Con because yeah. that's only the place you got to do it. Yeah, but only- I think that's how those two stories kind of got conflated. Yeah. So blame E.T. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, so that happened and then Marvel... The Marvel Cinematic Universe. Dude, the MCU went crazy. They yesterday. announced ten. You were there. Was, no, I was not actually there, there for, for the Hall okay. H panel, but I was watching the whole thing go down on Twitter <laughs> and just every explosion of everything that was happening in Hall H, every different casting announcement. We all knew that there were things coming, and Marvel was going to kind of be like the big ticket, the big money movement. Mm-hmm. Um, we all kind of predicted they were probably going to. You know, bring Black Widow and Eternals, but when you literally have Angelina Jolie, Scarlett Johansson, and then, I mean, praise God, Mahershala Ali come out at the very end, being announced as, as Blade. Blade. What? It, it it was just an embarrassment of riches. Like I was excited, but at the same time, 
I was like, oh, Wesley, dude, they dogged you out. You too old to be Blade. Like, that's the first thing I thought. I'm like, oh, they didn't did my boy Wesley well, wrong. you know what? Actually, the Hollywood Reporter, um, they reported today that after the panel, they got a chance to speak to Kevin Feige. Mm. And he told them that actually Mahershala called the meeting with Marvel. Um, right after he won his Oscar for Green Book, mm. he called the meeting with Marvel. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want to play Blade. Oh, well, and then and they're they not going to say no. They're not going to say no. He a double Oscar winner. They're not going to say no. And not for nothing, but the brother's bad. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Let me just announce who's in the chat room right now. We got Yasna. Hey, Yasna. We got Miss Jenna James. And we got my boy Michael B. and Marlon Wallace. Hello, hello, hello. Thank y'all for... (laughs) They're laughing. He's like laughing my booty off. Yep, I know. (laughs) Y'all know that's how I roll. But, um... These are the other titles that they announced. Not only did they announce Blade, but they announced Scarlett Johansson doing Black Widow. They announced uh, Benedict Cumberbatch coming back in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The Eternals. Loki is getting his own movie. Shang-Chi is getting his own movie. And The Legend of the Ten Rings. Thor is coming back, hopefully without his gut. Love and thunder. (laughs) No, and not just Thor is coming back. Natalie Portman is coming back as the female Thor. Uh, Jane is back in the MCU. Mm -hmm. Tessa is out there, you know, the king of Asgard looking for her queen, as she mentioned on stage. All right, I mean, there was big news. The big news. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, What If, and WandaVision. All of these films, ten films total, I think... I'm almost positive they said they were going to roll them out in the next year. No. Well, okay. So they they announced all of the dates, Mm -hmm. and they go from 2020 to, I believe, like 2022. Oh, okay. Because I was like, that's a lot of movies coming out in one year. And also, some of it is Disney Plus content. So like Loki and um, WandaVision and the Falcon and Winter Soldier, those three uh, are... TV properties. Oh, okay. So they're coming out in the part of this big um, Disney Plus And this role. is why you're here. <laughs> no, I'm, there was a lot of stuff to unpack, girl. But it was a lot. Because I was like, ooh, this is this is big news. Like, that, that was, to me, that was the biggest news that came out of Comic-Con. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I to- think people thought going into Comic-Con, because I know I thought this, I was like, yeah, they're going to announce some stuff. It's probably going to be cool. But nobody thought they could bring the fire after, like, the Infinity Saga ended. But they brought the fire. They brought it, and then some... Um, they also it was also announced that Arnold Schwarzenegger is back as the Terminator. He was there in all his glory. It was not a doppelganger. It really was <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was there. He did some carpets. He talked to some people. It was a whole thing. And there's probably much more that has happened there or that will happen between now and the end of the day today. But I don't know what it is. But I'm telling you what I know. <laughs> I'm telling you what I know and what interested me. So there is that. I also wanted to, well, I'll say this at the end, but we'll go ahead and get into Quentin Tarantino right now. Um, Yasna said Portman always Portman always picks for an interesting director. I think Waititi? Yeah, Taika. Yes. Was, was the man. Mm-hmm. And then um, Marlon said no news from Warner Brothers or DC Comics. There probably is, but you know, y'all have heard me say this before. Comic-Con's not really my jam. It really isn't. It's just a lot going on, and my little brain just can't can't absorb all of that. But I'm sure the DC and DC Comics and Warner Brothers did drop some stuff. If I find out what it is between now and next week, then I'll update you at that time. They, they brought some TV. They brought some TV, TV content. News, okay, um, like debuting uh, Supergirl's like her pantsuit and doing a little <laughs> bit with Batwoman um, with Ruby Rose. She was unable to attend, mm-hmm. but um, they did a little bit there oh, right. as well. Batwoman, yeah. I forgot about yeah. that. And then uh, what else? Somebody said, I could have done without Loki. That was 
fan service to his <laughs> to his stands that won't get a movie and what if doesn't really impress me would have preferred a Moon Knight film TV series and or Deadpool news yeah I'm not a big Deadpool person there's still so much to come they didn't talk about Guardians 3 they didn't talk about Black Panther 2 they didn't they, they tease that they're gonna get into Fantastic Four so mm-hmm. don't worry there's there'll, still there'll more be some stuff they, to they'll drop. have it for you <laughs> there'll be some stuff to drop all right, y'all, here we go. We about to get down and dirty with some Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> oh, my God. So let's just, let me just give you some Quentin Tarantino facts before we start. Quentin Tarantino, in three quarters of his films, always has some kind of dance number yes. or some kind of musical throwback reference in every single solitary film that he done does. So that's a staple. Other staples for him are Harvey Keitel, mm-hmm. Michael Madsen, um... Samuel L. Jackson, I wouldn't say John Travolta is a staple for him, but in Uma Thurman, those seem to be staples for him in terms of recurring. And it's always really cool when you see directors connect with a certain star because it makes for really good filmmaking when that yeah. happens because there's a chemistry that happens behind the scenes that translates to the screen and, and then it translates to us as well. Absolutely. But I, I love that. So his first film was Reservoir Dogs. That was 27 years ago, you guys. Crazy. 27 years ago. And it was his acting, writing, and directorial debut. And I think up until that time, there were a few people that were doing it, like Spike Lee did it. Um, Maddie Rich had done it. There were a couple of people that were doing that. John Singleton, he wasn't at... Well, John Singleton was in... um, Not Poetic Justice. um, Higher Learning. He put himself in Higher Learning. But... Up until that time, there weren't a whole bunch of people that were directing and writing and putting themselves in movies, and he was. And, you know, Quentin Tarantino is self-admittedly just a movie geek. He's just a person that is a fan of movies that decided he wanted to make the kind of films that he wanted to see. So Reservoir Dogs, 27 years ago, it stars him, Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, Steve Buscemi. It was the darling of Sundance in 1992, and it didn't take home nary an award, <laughs> which is not unusual. No, it's not. At Sundance. Yeah. That happens a lot. It comes out, and it's super buzzy, and everybody's talking about it, and for whatever reason, it doesn't quite hit that mainstream, um, it's, especially when it's you know a first film from an unproven director, mm-hmm. but it was a sign of things to come. Yep, absolutely. Um, it, you know, for the people that saw the movie, and for all of us now who have seen it, um, which actually, I admitted to Carla that I had not seen Reservoir Dogs until probably about two months ago. <laughs> For whatever reason, you know, I'm I'm not the world's biggest Tarantino fan, but I've 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 consumed everything else. Why hadn't I watched Reservoir Dogs? And I think it was just because everyone always told me like, oh no, it's the best one, or oh like. I was like, yeah, 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 sure. Like, it's great. Like, full disclosure, I've never seen Reservoir Dogs because every time they show the scene from it, it looks so violent. I'm like, mm, I don't think I can handle that. Like, I am not the one when it comes to blood and gore. I am just not that chick. But I am a huge fan of people that make really good films, and I really love Michael Madsen. And this, this is another staple of Quentin Tarantino, too. Quentin Tarantino has become synonymous with putting people or having folks star in his films who in his films, end up having a comeback. Yes. Like Pam Greer. Yeah. Like John Travolta. Mm-hmm. These people, their careers weren't over, but they were kind of at a standstill. Yeah, they were stalling. Yeah, they were at a standstill when he hooked up with them, so that was cool. And it was also a big breakout for Tim Roth. Um, yes. Which was pretty amazing, and of course, they've become kind of a troop together. Yeah. He's appeared in so many like of his films, like you said. But, yes. But, you know, he gave him a shot in like letting him play 
this big, I'm not even going to say, but it's, you know, it's a, <laughs> a big role in being Mr. Orange. Um, and, but back to the Michael Madsen thing, the stuck in, stuck in the middle with you is like <laughs> probably the most iconic scene from like yep. the second most iconic dance scene yep. from any Tarantino movie. Yep, absolutely. The, that one and the one in Pulp Fiction. Yes. But um, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And then there's uh, Eddie Bunker, who's also in the film playing Mr. Blue. He was a real bank robber in real life. Before playing this bank robber in the film, I thought, oh, that's hilarious. I love that. Um, and he actually wrote a book about being a, a bank robber called Little Boy Blue. That's pure comedy right there. Yep. I'm like, you just going to put all your stuff out in the street. Okay. <laughs> all right, Eddie Bunker, just put your stuff all out. Just put your business all out in the street. It's all good. But that was Reservoir Dogs. And as I mentioned just before, when you talked about the dance scene, Pulp Fiction. Whenever someone mentions Pulp Fiction, what do they talk about? That twist dance scene between Uma Thurman mm-hmm. and John Travolta and that I remember now I remember going to the theater to see this yeah and I remember laughing my butt off I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen and the people in the theater me and this girl that was with me we were cracking up and the people in the theater were so annoyed with us really oh my god they were so mad they were so mad that we were laughing they were like they did not get what was funny. I'm like clearly we have a very dark sense of humor because we were cracking up hilarious did they we, laugh at all no. What? We were cracking up and they were like, they kept, you know how people turn around and give you a dirty look like when you put your foot on the back of their seat? Like they were looking at me like I had my foot on the back of their seat and they were just like, I was just laughing. I was like, I think Tarantino would be ashamed of them because that's what's so brilliant about him, especially <laughs> with a movie like Pulp Fiction. He's actively choosing to mix all of this comedy and this brutal violence and, you know, this this crime underworld. He's He's doing that on purpose. He, Absolutely. He wants people to feel a different range of emotions while Absolutely. watching the movie. So Absolutely. clearly they were watching something else. I don't know what film they were watching, but I got my giggle on. That's all <laughs> I know. And Pulp Fiction won a screenplay Oscar, so it was Quentin Terrence. So let's, let's just check. Let's just talk about this for a second. Homeboy does two movies. His second movie out the gate, he wins the Oscar for best screenplay. That's bananas. And it took, what, Spike Lee, I don't know, 30 years to get one? Quentin Tarantino won one second film out of the gate. That's huge. Um, Pulp Fiction also debuted at Cannes 25 Mm -hmm. years before Once Upon a Time, Mm -hmm. and it won the Palm at Cannes as well. So, I mean, literally, like you were saying with Sundance and Reservoir Dogs, he was already like a festival darling out of the gate with that one, too. Yes, festival darling, and then it also got nominated for a Golden Globe and BAFTA. And if you guys have not seen Pulp Fiction, let me just tell you what it's about. Because everybody didn't see Reservoir Dogs. There was no need to give an explanation of that. But Pulp Fiction is one of those films that some people seen it, some people haven't. So it deals with the lives of these two mob hitmen, a boxer, a gangster, and his wife, and a pair of diner bandits. I love that, diner bandits. <laughs> um, intertwined in four tales of violence and redemption. In that film also, we talked about Uma Thurman and uh, John Travolta, but also in that film is Bruce Willis. And this was a huge deal for Bruce Willis at the time because Bruce Willis was so synonymous with that TV series. He was on Moonlighting and um, the Die Hard series that this was like a huge departure for him because he was playing somebody really kind of evil. Because in Moonlighting, he was charming. In Die Hard, he was charming. He had never really played anybody that you like that loved to hate. So this was a big departure for him. Um, it was also a breakout role for Samuel L. Jackson because up until Pulp Fiction, Samuel L. Jackson was in the Spike Lee camp. Yeah. He was doing, you know, Jungle Fever and, and Do the Right. He was in all these Spike Lee films. And it was a big drama at the time between 
when he went to work with Quentin, uh, Spike felt some kind of way about that, yeah. and they didn't speak for a minute because of that. I was like, oh, that's a, that's messed up. But they all good because, you know, you saw him jump on him when he got yeah. the Oscar, so they, They've good. worked it out, but I, actually I think that is something that also makes like Sam so amazing is the fact that he has been such a massive part of the troops of these two real auteurs. Like he he can he's so diverse in what he can do as an actor and actually that was the reason why I saw Pulp Fiction was because of Sam Jackson. Really? Yeah. I um, saw it because of John Travolta cuz I'm a huge John Travolta fan. So I was like and then I saw the dance and I'm like, "Ooh, John Travolta going to dance. I have to see this." Of course, because you know, after Saturday Night Fever and Grease and all of, you of know, Of course. You have to get to you, watch him bust a move again. Please. But nobody knew, I feel like, that that Uma even coming out of that was going to be the, the dancer that everyone I know, remembers. Right? I know, that was pure comedy. She was, and she was fabulous in that movie. She was so, 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 so good. Um, let's see. Jackson, speaking of Samuel L. Jackson, Jackson would go on to work again with Quentin Tarantino and Jackie Brown in Kill Bill Volume 2 and Glorious Bastards, Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight. And um, he got his first... So he got his first Oscar and Golden Globe nomination, but he won the BAFTA for Pulp Fiction, which I didn't know. I didn't know didn't, he won the BAFTA. I didn't know either, actually. I was like, well, go ahead, Sam Jackson. You should have. I did not know he, he got a BAFTA. I was like, well, all right then. <laughs> go ahead with your bad self. I loved that, um, that he got a BAFTA for that. Um, and like I said, this this film single-handedly resurrected John Travolta's career. He ended up getting an Oscar nomination, him and Sam got Oscar nominations for this and this was the first time that he had been nominated since Saturday Night Fever so that was like a good 20-30 year chunk block of time Um, but yeah so there's that then we got Jackie Brown Jackie Brown is like my all time (laughs) favorite Quentin Tarantino is yours too right? I love it I love it so much I saw that you put on Twitter that you were like this is me (laughs) literally in the airport that made me laugh so bad every time so the iconic opening scene in LAX you know, the beautiful mural as she's on the little, you know, moving sidewalk. Every single time I'm in LAX, that's all I can think of. I'm like, I feel like I'm Jackie Brown, you know, with my little suitcase just going by it. I I haven't recorded myself doing it yet, but I like desperately want to. That, you need to do that because that was was pure comedy. And like I said previously, Quentin was known for giving people starts in films that their careers had kind of stalled a little bit. And Pam Greer's career had stalled. You know, Pam Greer was like a huge female star mm-hmm. in the quote-unquote black exploitation moment in cinema. Um, she was coffee, not coffee. She, yeah, coffee. She was coffee. Mm-hmm. Was she coffee? Well, no, well, she was Tamara in, Dompson. She's, she was in coffee, though. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she was she was Foxy Brown. Yeah. I'm like, no, t- coffee was Tamara, yeah. Tamara Dompson. She's in coffee, but she's Foxy yeah. Brown. Yeah. So Pam Greer was Foxy Brown, and she was Cle- not Cleve, but that's Tamara, too. So she, <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting Tamara and, and Pam, Greer, Pam Greer, girl, if you listen to this, don't be mad at a sister. <laughs> um, but she was Foxy Brown, and she was like the guy, She was, for men all across the country, black, white, or otherwise. She was like the quintessential sex symbol in the 70s. I mean, she had a body that that wouldn't quit. She was gorgeous. She had this perfect, huge, ginormous afro. She could act, and not for nothing, but for her to be as gorgeous as she was, she could really act like she had had chops. But because of the way she looked, the same way they do most women, Mm -hmm. people didn't take her seriously. And after a while, stuff started to fall off. But you can catch her now. She's on a sitcom on ABC. I forget the name of it, but she's on a sitcom on ABC <laughs> with Lake Bell. <laughs> oh, um, Bless This Mess. Bless This Mess. Yes. She's on Bless This Mess on ABC, so you can catch her there. And she's pure comedy there. But it resurrected her career. 
Also in Jackie Brown, again, was Samuel L. Jackson. Chris Tucker was in this. I didn't know Chris Tucker was in that. Oh, that Chris Tucker has that epic scene involving the trunk. Oh, right. Oh, girl, I forgot. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Michael Keaton is in this. Michael Keaton was another one that couldn't get a job after Batman. Folk was not checking for him, but Quentin gave him a gig. Robert Forster ended up getting an Oscar nomination for his role in this. Bridget Fonda was in it. Robert De Niro was in it. And this one was about a middle-aged woman who finds herself in the middle of a huge conflict that will either make her a profit or cost her her life. And girl, I know it was it was epic. <laughs> y'all y'all will get your life watching Jackie Brown. I'm just saying. Um, and Pamela Greer and Samuel L. Jackson were both nominated for Golden Globes for this, but Robert Forster uh, did get an Oscar for his role. And what's so awesome about it, and what's so awesome about him hiring Pam, it's another example of Quentin as the movie lover. Like, he loved exploitation films, so you obviously go for the queen. Yep. Like, if you're gonna make the movie, if you're gonna make the homage... Then you gotta right. have you gotta have Pam Greer and he and he did it like, right and it on. worked. You gotta have Pam. he would probably went for Tamara Dobson if she was living, but I think she had passed away by that mm-hmm. time. But I'm like, go ahead with your bad self. Use some Pam Greer. Pam Greer's fierce. I'm hoping that one day so she'll fabulous. come over here and talk to me because I love her. Let's okay, make that happen, Pam. Come on, Pam Greer. Come and holler at the sister. <laughs> um, let me see what they saying in the chat room. Anything they still talking about the Marvel Universe. <laughs> <laughs> they still talking about Marvel Universe. Um, so. Now we're going to get to Kill Bill, Volume 1, and Volume 2. So Volume 1, again, is starring Uma Thurman. Remember I said he has a recurring theme of people that he likes to use. So Uma Thurman is in this, Vivica Fox, Lucy Liu, Daryl Hannah, and David Carradine. And this is about a former assassin simply known as The Bride, played by Uma Thurman. Um, She wakes from a coma four years after her jealous lover, Bill, who's played by David Carradine, attempts to murder her on her wedding day. That's why she would be called the bride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Fueled by um, a desire for revenge, she vows to get even with every person who contributed to the loss of her unborn child, her entire wedding party, and four years of her life. That is a lot going on. So she had a hit list for your behind. Yep. Um, this is what I loved about this movie. This is also one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino flicks because it was like just a badass chick samurai film. Yes. That's what it was. Everybody that was killed in this film was killed by a woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was living for this. I mean, literally, Uma is the queen. And and for a long time, she was kind of thought of as like the queen of the Tarantino films um, because of these iconic roles that she got to play between Mia Wallace and the bride. Mm-hmm. Um and it is really wonderful seeing that, um, getting to see these women in these very powerful roles in a lot of these films. Um, I know that, you know, the, the relationship between Quentin and Uma is a little controversial now, um, now that we know a little bit more, and now that she's been able to say a little she's bit She's been more. a little more vocal. I'm going to talk about that when we get to Kill Bill Volume 2. There's oh. an excerpt from Vivica's book. Oh, perfect, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it... it it, it's one of those things where when you look at it from the perspective of when you saw it, you can see it one way, and, and now that we know a little more, you look at it a little differently. Um, but it's still pretty awesome to get as a viewer to watch that and to see everyone in their Halloween costumes as the bride for years on end and just to get to see women in that par- that powerful position. You know, we get her against Vivica Fox, Lucy Liu, Daryl Hannah. Like, that's the kind of content that women were checking for that people didn't realize they were. Um, this wasn't just a film for the men. Absolutely. And again, he revived careers again because at this point, Vivica Fox had done Independence Day. She'd had a sitcom on television with Patti LaBelle that didn't do well. Um, she did Independence 
Christmas Day. She did a couple of other films, but her film career was kind of dipping, ebbing and flowing at the time that he used her for this. So it was a bomb that it resurrected her career. Daryl Hannah, after Splash, was and um, uh, Steel Magnolias wasn't really getting a whole lot of love either. And I think part of that had to do with uh, her relationship with JFK Jr. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of derailed her acting career for a moment. But at any rate, whatever happened, all of these women, for one reason or another, the only one of them that wasn't derailed career-wise was Lucy Liu at the time. Yeah. Because she was the it girl She at was the, time. the baddest. Like She was on Ally McBeal, I think, yeah. at the time. So it wasn't it wasn't a resurgence for her as, as much as it was the other ladies, but it was it was great. Um, so this is what I want to say about that. There was no blood in the trailer, which is actually kind of mind-boggling yeah. considering how much blood was in the actual movie. I didn't realize that. There was no blood in the trailer. Not a single a solitary drop, right? Because <laughs> when you go see it, you go see a lot of blood. Um, the character Pai Mei is based on Bak Mei, an actual kung fu master. I love that. Um, and Bak Mei is known for developing the white eyebrow kung fu technique and is known in Chinese folklore as a villainous character, having sold out other kung fu masters to save himself during an attack on Buddhist temples. <laughs> sure. This is, what, this is what I love about Quentin Tarantino. Every every character in his film, there's nothing in his films that doesn't come from some yes. other... That does is There's nothing that's meaningless, I no. guess is what I'm trying he, to say. He, he pays attention to literally every single detail, and his attention to detail is beyond what anyone else does. He researches the heck out of everything that he does. I was just listening to an interview about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he was recreating not just, or he and his team, rather, were recreating not just, you know, Hollywood Boulevard, but the bus stop on Hollywood Boulevard. And inside of the building that they were driving by, there was, like, a real pamphlet from the time period. And you were just like... So, basically, he makes it like a set that where if you open any door... You know, pull open any drawer. What you find there is historically accurate. It's really, really it was impressive. bananas. Um, he <laughs> now this was hilarious. Quentin Tarantino loans out the pussy wagon, <laughs> uh, yeah. and I, I and it's a car, so you know, don't be coming for me. <laughs> um, he has the wagon parked in his driveway and regularly drove it during the film's release as a bit of shameless self-promotion and has loaned it out on several occasions for video shoots. It makes an appearance, y'all, so check out these videos. The Pussy Wagon makes an appearance in both Missy Elliott's video, I'm Really Hot, and Lady Gaga's video, Telephone. Yes, I knew about that one. (laughs) That is pure comedy to me. I was like, what? Okay, now Kill Bill Volume 2. Again, this one is now, this year, is 25 years old. Kill Bill Volume 2 is celebrating its 25th anniversary. And this one solely centers around Vivica Fox, which I'm like, okay, she better be an ancillary character in the first one. And then this one is like all about her. I'm like, what? It's crazy. Um, Lucy Liu is in this one. Sam, now, as we go along the rest of these films, Sam Jackson kind of makes a cameo in like mm-hmm. all of these films mm-hmm. in different places. Um, now, this... Kill Bill Saga was actually originally supposed to be a single four-hour epic before it was split into two films. That I did not know. Yes, before Harvey was like, no. Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) He was like, "Um, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Um, And it's based on his... um, his, he, he likes Eastern cinematic influences, so that's what this was was based on. Um, and then there was, like, he kind of wanted to put some Western stuff in there, like spaghetti Western stuff, mm-hmm. but that didn't happen because, again, Homeboy was like, yeah, no. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson makes a sneaky cameo in this one as Rufus the piano player. Yeah. Yep. In the wedding scenes. Yes. Yeah. The bride borrowed her 
finishing move from another film called Five Point Palm Exploding Heart Technique, which is also in the Shaw Brothers films, The Executioners from Shaolin and Clan of the White Lotus, which were primarily inspirations behind the entire Kill Bill saga. That I didn't know. I was like, okay, well, all right, go ahead with your bad self. <laughs> now, this is what I wanted to tell you. This is the excerpt from Vivica's book. This is the excerpt from Vivica's book. Her book is called Every Day I'm Hustling. And Vivica said that meeting with Tarantino, um, he for the, her, she first met with him. And then after she met with him, he he said he would come to her mansion and audition her. She had a mansion in Tarzana at the mm-hmm. time. She's like, don't hold my mansion against me. And so he didn't. But he came there. And then after that, he suggested that her and David Carradine and Lucy Liu and Daryl Hannah, that they all go through this extense, intensive um, martial arts training for three months. Yeah. Um, she said it was 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, between 8.55 and 8.59. You were in trouble at 9.01, and I thought she was in, in the Olympics or something. Mm. She says that Uma Thurman ultimately helped her navigate the tricky waters of being directed by Tarantino because she said Thurman told her that Fo- told her that Tarantino loved to instigate, and that was simply his way of getting what he wanted out of an actor, and that his comments were never personal. The actress went on to tell Fox that to solve the problem, she'd have to learn how to quote unquote manipulate the situation better. That's a whole. Uh, first of all, let me just say. That's too many things. Like, you got to show up on set and know your lines and know your little moves, and then you got to deal with the psychological antics of the director. That's too much. That's that's too much. On the third week of training, she was expecting Tarantino to be favorable to their mutual arts progress, but the director tore into them and called them lazy. She shocked her, she shocked her co-stars by speaking out against him to his face, mm-hmm. and that did not go over well. She lost it on him, and she said, Is this a beat-up contest? Are we effing doing anything right and she just went off and they had to pull her off and say calm down calm down calm down and ultimately Uma Thurman told her you have to learn how to be quiet and speak less he's tough but he's not stupid he'll concede you something if it's to make the film better learn to attack intelligently because he's got the power to fire you that's a lot it's a lot but it also just reminds me that it is as women, a lot of what we have to learn to deal with anyway. Not, it, just more in terms of having to figure out how to navigate, especially in this time in Hollywood, what was such a man's world. So what Uma was telling her was like, listen, you have to understand he is the boss, and he is a boss that is, because he's so passionate, he's, you know, he can be a, a little bit of a lot. <laughs> oh, and, you think? <laughs> you know, whether or not it's right or wrong how he's speaking to you, you have to figure out how to find a way to use your power and use your role as the actress for you. Um, and in that way, you know, to to pick your battles, basically. It's it's a choose your battles kind of thing. And that certainly was that situation. But it, those two films, that, that series, are some of my favorites in addition to Jackie Brown. Next up is Inglorious Bastards. And I'm not going to lie. I tried to watch Inglorious Bastards and the first five minutes of it, when they were like cutting people's heads, I'm like, yeah, I can't mess, I can't mess with this. Did you finish it? No, nope. oh, never okay. saw it because I was like, I can't, I can't mess with this. But I just can't. Did you see it? I love it. I love Inglorious Bastards, which I is do it. so. Once you got into these like historical epics, where it got into like the changing history, um, for whatever reason, because I'm like a big history buff, I just found it very entertaining. He actually talks about in an interview recently just the idea that like it's filmmaking, it's movie making. You are living in a fantasy world, and that's to me the epitome of Inglorious Bastards because it's a whole movie about 
like killing Nazis. It's a whole movie about how things didn't happen the way we all know they happened, which is the hard part of ma- about making a World War II movie is mm. you. D- we already know how it happens. We, I mean, we weren't all there, but we've all read the history books. <laughs> right. So how are you going to make a movie about World War II that's still like shocking and entertaining and has some suspense? Unless you're, you know, and, and you can do it, but you know, in a Tarantino world, you're going to really just totally go off the deep end with it and he does well girl I'm glad you were, you were the one that saw that because I'm like <laughs> I couldn't hang with that but I will say that there was yet another sneaky cameo from Samuel L. Jackson in this one he's heard but he's not seen in the film um, and he doesn't appear on screen but he narrates uh, Hugo Stiglitz Stiglitz's oh girl I don't know how to pronounce Stiglitz's. any of the things well, he, he narrates Hugo's backstory so we don't see him but we hear him I'm like, yeah. And the movie, all of the swastikas in the movie had to be removed from the German versions of the film's posters because portraying Nazi symbols in Germany is banned. Sounds good. Um, that appropriately sounds, that so. sounds fine to me. I'm, I'm great with that. Um, yeah, this, this, this is one of those where I'm like, mm, okay, next. No, <laughs> Brad Pitt, Christoph Waltz. Oh, and Christoph Waltz won the Oscar for yes, that. Yes, and he is, and that was the introduction for him into the Tarantino world, and he is... Just bonkers amazing in it. The whole cast is so good. It was a real change of character for Brad Pitt, like he's done with so many of his other actors, um, having him put on this accent and be kind of like goofy, but still this very like hardened lieutenant. You know, it's, I, I hope you finish it. No, girl, I can't. It's, it's too violent for me. I can't hang. And then next up is Django Unchained with my boy Jamie Foxx. Christoph Waltz again, Kerry Washington, Leonardo DiCaprio, my boy Samuel Jackson again, and Walter Goggins. Now, I heard that Jamie Foxx used his own horse in the movie, which is hilarious. I'm like, I love the fact that Jamie Mm -hmm. Foxx has a horse. He's a real old cowboy. I love that. I also heard that Jonah Hill was supposed to play a bigger role in the movie. Um, He was originally cast to play Scott, Scotty Harmony, the son of a Southern slave buyer, but um, the entire segment was cut, I guess, because he couldn't do it. Um, and then the quilt, now this is what I did find out that I love. The quilt on the bed that Broomhilda is thrown onto is an, is an underground railroad style. So the myth is that slaves would use quilts to communicate and the underground railroad style was saying to pack up and go. Mm -hmm. They would use that as a quilt. That I did not know. That's interesting. And I thought, oh, that's some really interesting, um, stuff from that. I rather enjoyed that. Um, and... Django Unchained, Django Unchained, it holds the record, holds the record for the most uses of the N-word. Yes, yes it, it The does. N-word is used in that film 116 times. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. That. Was a, that was a very controversial It was controversial at the time, out. I remember. And, and it's interesting because I still am not sure where I land on the, the conversation either way. But I just, I do think it is interesting that, because I, wasn't his, his reaction just essentially that he was being very uh, true to the time? Was that, was that's that what, Tarantino's that, defense? That was, that was his defense, that he was being true to the time. But I, there's one thing to be true to the time, but there's another way to be true to the time without saying something that you know is ostentatiously offensive to people of color in this time. Like, I don't need to hear somebody say the N-word ever again. Ever. 
Yeah. I just, there's no need for it. And it, it, it's just like the word sassy. Whenever somebody says, oh, she's so sassy, or can you do this with a bit of sass? I don't like that word. And you know why I don't like it? Because whenever the word sassy was used back in slave times, it was always used to describe a slave that was spirited, that had some kind of personality. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't need for you to use that word in, in talking about me. It's I don't how, need it's that. It's how boy gets me. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, boy with a tone is just it's as just, bad as a lot of other things. It's, yeah, it's just it's just not cute. That leads us to the hateful eight, which stars Samuel L. Jackson again. <laughs> <laughs> but Her, I will say that Samuel L. Jackson in Django is one of his most vicious roles. He was ever. Mean. He is mean and nasty, but he is incredible. Like he was. He was at, good. All those performances in Django are just nuts. Particularly him. Christoph Leonardo DiCaprio's Calvin Candy. Basically, the idea that he like has these sugar rushes, and that's what causes him to have these mood swings. Right? He's, he he thinks of him as a guy who eats too much candy. You're like, wait, what? That that was how that was how your that was your process? Amazing. Sorry. Yeah, that's what okay. you were talking about. That's okay. Yes, it's all good. So the hateful eight again starred Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, who was another person who at the time folk wasn't checking for him. Excuse me, Michael Madsen and Tim Roth joined them in this one. Jennifer Jason Lee was nominated for an Oscar and her part in this. And Bruce Dern. Um, part of the beauty of this film is that the plot is just really simple. It's really simple, simple rather, um, and the but the characters are complex. The film is simple, but the characters are crazy as hell. It's eight of them. Now, this is what I found out that was really interesting about it. So... Let me find that note real quick. So, The Hateful Eight is Quentin Tarantino's eighth film, right? Mm -hmm. It also has the word eight in the title. There are eight main characters. It was filmed over eight weeks with eight cameras operated by eight camera operators, all of whom who have eight fingers and eight toes. (laughs) What? That sounds bananas, right? I need some facts. There was a tale told of a cameraman so motivated to take part in production that they asked Eli Roth to cut off the digits, which were the surplus to requirement. I kind of love that. I love that so much. Okay. I love that so much. Um, which brings up, so, we went through, oh my God, I can't believe we went through all eight of the films. I'm that went a lot impressed. That went a lot faster than I thought. Okay. You know, there's actually a fun fact. There's a theory going around that all of Quentin Tarantino's movies have, are all related within a sort of universe type of thing. So similar to like the Marvel universe. Yeah. yeah, and, that's, yeah. And, say, say that one more time. So it's similar to like the Marvel universe where a lot of the uh, characters and storylines are inter- intermingled within all the movies. So, oh, yes, that's true. That yeah, is true. So yeah. uh, the theory kind of came about with uh, both the Vega Brothers in uh, Reservoir Dogs and in Pulp Fiction. They were going to have a movie together because of a spinoff from that. Yeah, he wanted at one point to make like a third film of the Vegas. Um, and that voice that y'all hearing is not like a disembodied voice. <laughs> that is my engineer, Josh, my producer engineer, Josh, who hello, was talking. Hello. So I just want to say who that is because people are like, who is that guy's voice? <laughs> and he's like a massive Tarantino fan. So we're very glad he joined yeah. us. Yes, and, and, I, and I said, dude, kick in if you need to. What's pretty cool is within the universe itself, there is another universe within within it. So with uh, from films like From Dust Till Dawn and both of the Kill Bill movies, those are actually movies that the characters within the universe of Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Inglorious Bastards, anything like that, those are the movies that they're actually going to go see in the movie theater. So it's like yeah. a... It's a weird, just like a universe within a universe, and then of course we're just like overseeing it. So it's like an alternate universe, like an alternate timeline, say of like U.S. history in a sense. Yeah. Well, all right, Josh, break it down for us, sisters. <laughs> I love it. Josh is breaking it down for the sisters and brothers. I love you for that. Which brings us to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which comes out next week. Now, let me just tell you, if you know anything about 
Charles Manson, Helter Skelter, Sharon Tate. Those things are incorporated in this, but this is really kind of like a made-up kind of situation. It's not. People are going to see it thinking it's something about Sharon Tate based on the press that has evolved around the film regarding Margot Robbie's role in the film as Sharon Tate, which I heard she just has very few lines, and it's been a whole mm-hmm. thing around mm-hmm. that. But please know that it, that is not what this is. This film actually... Um, is a film where they visit 1969 Los Angeles, where everything is changing. Um, There's a TV star, Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his longtime stunt double, Cliff Booth, who's Brad Pitt. They make their way around the industry they hardly recognize anymore. This is Tarantino's ninth film. But to prepare for it, I suggest you might check out some Helter Skelter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and Burt Reynolds was supposed to be in this film, but he passed away, unfortunately, last year before they were able to shoot his scenes. And Luke Perry, this is his final film appearance, yes. who passed away earlier this year. Yes, so there's that. Oh, my God, we got through all of it. Oh, and we got a minute. Okay, so in this minute that we got left, I want to tell y'all about a film that is called Be Natural. It is the story of Alice Guy Blaché. She is the first female director ever, 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 ever. To get the screening times for that, go to BeNaturalTheMovie.com for the screening dates and times. It is produced and narrated by Jodie Foster. This is the 50th anniversary of the landing and takeoff of Apollo 11. That film is directed by Todd Miller. It came out early in the year. If you go to the website, if you go to Black Hollywood Live, there's an interview there with me and Todd Miller. And there are... um, Exhibits all over the country at museums. There's one right here in Southern California at the California Science Museum to commemorate the anniversary. There's also a film coming out that we're going to talk about next week called Skin. It's starring Danielle McDonald, Jamie Bell, Bill Camp, Vera Farmiga. And it's about this young man who's raised by racist skinheads. And he turns his back on his white supremacist background when he falls in love with, with this chick who is not a, um, who would not be considered beautiful by um, some people's standards in America. She's beautiful to me. She's a full-figured chick, and she's a smart cookie. Um, and she's also a single mom. So there's that. Is there, is there anything else that you want to add to that? No, please check out um, Variety's Comic-Con footage at Variety.com. Follow us on Twitter at Variety. Follow me at Angelique814, and I'll be back next She'll week. She'll be back next week! Yeah, because oh, we so got to finish our Tarantino uh, yes. roundup and once we've finally seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we're going to tomorrow. Yes, we're going to it tomorrow. I cannot wait. Um, uh, Michael B. wants to know... I want to know, Angelique and Josh, if y'all heard anything about Vivica's daughter in Kill Bill 2. No. I but have we'll find out. not. No, but that okay. would be pretty interesting, though. We'll, we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> we'll talk about it next week, M- Michael B. So let me just give y'all a final shout-out. Thank you, Michael B., Marlon Wallace, Jenna James, Yasna, um, Marcus Terry, and anybody else that I missed in the chat room, thank you so much, so much, so much, so much for joining us for The Curvy Critic. I know this was a long one, but there was a lot to cover. Thank you, Angelique, for joining us. She'll be back next week, y'all. That's my girl. (laughs) Um, So you can find me, as usual, across all social media platforms at The Curvy Critic. Any reviews that we talk about or any films that we talk about here, you can find them on my site, thecurvyfilmcritic.com, in written or video form, or you can find them on my YouTube channel, The Curvy Critic on YouTube. Um, you can find me right after this at the General Hospital After Show where I talk about all things Port Charles. <laughs> so until next week, you guys, I will see you back here with Miss Angelique Jackson where we're going to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Loose Skin, and so much more. Thank you so much for joining us. Love, peace, and hair grease. Until the next time. Bam. Bye. <laughs> 
On behalf of our BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Check out our Black Hollywood Live YouTube page for even more great programming and amazing content. And be sure to subscribe and like our channel when you do. I'm your BHL host, Nakia Monet, and you can find me on all social media at Kiki Boom Boom or at Black Hollywood Live. Black Hollywood Live, Hollywood Redefined. <laughs>